0: The Lord is speaking, and He is saying, "To whom, then will you compare me that I should be like Him?" says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord." And my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, help us to believe what we read this morning. If you would turn within your scriptures into the book of Luke... One of the very last statements that this man makes, and I would like to read part of it to you, of the 24th chapter and the 52nd verse. And it says of the disciples, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Can you live? Why, you bet you can, and you can live dynamically. Now, I don't know how that got turned around and said in the bulletin dramatically. Well, I guess you can do that too. But that's not the word I'm thinking about. The word that I was thinking about is a word that we speak of within the Scripture. called the dunamis. And that word comes from the word dynamite. And that means power. And, beloved, that's exactly what we want to talk about this morning. And that is the power that you need to be able to live and to be the type of person that not what someone else thinks you ought to be, but what you know in the sight of God is rightfully yours, and this is what you should have. Now, I know to some people the thought never occurred to them that they could live any other way than perhaps their living, if you can call it that. It's more existing than anything. I know there's another group of people who do not believe that at all, and it's a very difficult thing to even try to get them to believe it. And I know there's another great host of people who want to believe that there's power enough in this universe that is surrounding them that they might be able to take within their life and be able to live and to be that person that they would really love to be. We say, well, yes, I could do this if uh, I had your situation or I could look and imagine some situation in which I could be cast that I would be able to have this type of power. But in the situation where I am right now, we want to conclude that it's an impossibility for me to be what I know that God really intended for me to be. Now, if I were in a different position, if I had more wealth and more this, more that, or more something else, well, then I would be able to be the person that I want to be. But, beloved, let me tell you something this morning. That, you see, if you were right about what you're thinking and what you're saying when you talk like that, And if you thought that you were completely the victim of your environment, which you're saying when you make such statements, then you're no better off than anything that God has created in his animal kingdom. You're no better off then than the lowly reptile that crawls upon the ground that we call a snake. You would be no better than he. Because the truth of it is, he is completely at the mercy of the elements. His body temperature depends upon what the temperature is outside. But you see, beloved, God never created you that way, not even from the beginning, not even from the start. He created you in such a way to tell you that you are not the victim of your environment. He never intended for you to be. Now, of course, the environment can have a great deal to say to us about our emotional stability and what we may feel at the moment. But at the deep citadel of your life and your soul, God never intended for your environment to tell you really what the state of your being is. Now, beloved, that's the good news. That's part of it. You are not really hooked to your environment. Right where you are, right in the situation that you happen to be in, whether it be good, bad, or somewhere in between, the Scripture speaks to you, and God is trying to say something to you about the quality of the life that you can have. Now, if you doubt that, I deliberately picked a place from the Old Testament, even before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What God was trying to say to His people, and oh, how He put it on them that morning! Why do you say, O oh Israel, that the Lord doesn't know what's going on? Well, I've got your number. I am the one that calls for everything. I am the power, the might, and the strength. Who you think calls forth the host and they come? Who is it that has them numbered so that not one of them is lost? And you try to say to me that I disregard who you are and what you are and where you are? Why are you saying that in the fact that I am in charge of you at all times? You know, one of the most interesting things about God's people in the Old Testament was, without exception, the very time that, the, that God's people thought that God was not taking note of them, do you know what was really happening? The good God in the place wherever he is was trying to figure out what to do with them at that very moment. Here they were in a dilemma and they were saying to one another, well, God has left us. He's not conscious of us. He doesn't know what's going on. He's growing weak and so forth and so on. And God comes to them and say, I am the one. I know you. I know you by name. That's what that number means. I know you by name. Now you come over to the New Testament. I'll pick that out deliberately. Mark comes to the close of his book. He's saying everything that he wanted to say, I guess, or could say, uh, Luke, brother, And he comes down to the very end of it. And now the disciples have been with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have seen this great thing take place for the Lord Jesus Christ was taken from them. And it says there in that work, it said, When as they worshipped him, You know, wouldn't it be wonderful? This is the thing, of course, we want to happen in our life. When we go into the sanctuary when we come to this hallowed place, we come here to worship. Are you prepared to worship? What about your frame of mind and your attitude? Of course you come to this place. Let's hope to God that you truly worship this morning. I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen if you do. You're going to be able to leave from this service and you're going to be doing exactly what these disciples did long ago. It's going to say of you that you left this place rejoicing. That's the way that it is. When a person makes contact with the Lord Jesus Christ and he knows two or three things for sure, his soul is set on fire then, or as it is here, uh, they went to Jerusalem rejoicing. Now look at the situation. They went back to Jerusalem rejoicing. You know, that right there is a fantastic state. Now I will call it to your attention in just a few minutes. They said they went back to Jerusalem. Well, now that's really something. They went back to Jerusalem rejoicing. Here's the very place that we remember one time, just a few weeks before, that when Jesus said to Peter that we're going to Jerusalem, Peter did everything in his power to stop Jesus from going. What do you want to go up to that place for? Because there's where they're going to take you and kill you and abuse you and mistreat you and they're after us. But you remember Jesus went, here's the place of where the disciples deserted the Lord Jesus Christ to a man, every one of them. Would it not have been more wonderful for us as being the children of God to have been able to have looked at one man Instead of that, if it had only been one man could have understood the Lord Jesus Christ and said, okay, I will take my stand. Oh, Peter said the words, but when it came down to it, he couldn't stand. Would it not have been wonderful if we could look to one man to represent us that with the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem that they would have stood and said, He's innocent. He is the Son of God. Let me die with Him. Let me die with Him. To be so sure of Christ. Life is not worth the effort. Let me die with Him. Not a one. Every one of them left and took off uh, to their own business. They denied Him. They let Him be beaten and mistreated and truly abused and at last nailed alive to a cross. I was talking to a young man some time ago from a little town not far from and he says, every time I think about that town, it makes me sick of my stomach. Now, it's his hometown. But what the young man was talking about, he said, I played such a fool and I caused so many hurts and I hurt so many people. I was a complete idiot and I did some things out there that I'm so totally ashamed of that it's, I, I can't go back and face those people. I, I would love to. It's my home. Someday maybe I can, but I can't now. You know, that's human, you see. Now we can understand the disciples as they'd said, well, now look, I can't go back to Jerusalem. I played the part of an idiot. I was a fool. Here's where I disgraced myself. I disgraced the Lord Jesus Christ. I disappointed God. And everything that I should have been, I was not. And every time I think of Jerusalem, it makes me sick in my stomach. Oh, we understand, don't we? We have our Jerusalem. There's a place where we have played the fool. We have brought shame and disgrace to ourselves, to other people. And we would rather not to think about those such things and we ought not. It would be better to go to another place, another town, another city and start over again. How many people in my ministry have I heard say something like that? I can't worship with you there anymore. I played the part of a fool. I need to go somewhere else. I need to go somewhere else and start over again. Well, I suppose that's one way to do it. The astounding thing is what the disciples did. They went back to Jerusalem. The writer wants us to be sure of something. They didn't go back to Jerusalem the same way they came out, slipping out the back door. And so as they went back to Jerusalem, I think they went down the main highway. And so as they went rejoicing, that means they went singing. They were not slipping around anymore. They were going back to the place where they had done all the things that I've said. But they went back walking as men and women. And they walked straight down the highway and they were singing. Now you say, well, they went back to town because the town had changed. Well, the town had not changed. They were the same mean, cruel, indifferent people that had beat and crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They were just as ignorant and just as dumb and they were just as much after their blood right then as they were or had ever been when they were with the Lord Jesus Christ. The town had not changed. Well, what had taken place? Well, whatever had taken place that's what I want to know and I want to be able to lay hold of it because the environment had not changed it was the same mean cruel city that had just put a few weeks before the Lord Jesus Christ to death the very son of God well we know we know when I was a young Christian out here beachmont Beechmont years ago we only lived about four or five blocks from the church and we walked to church. I think we had an old car, but I forgot what the situation was. Maybe it was gas ration. Anyway, we walked to church. Right down two blocks from Beachmont Methodist Church. and I had to walk back, going to church and coming from church. There's a big building about the size of this. and Not as beautiful, lower than this, but a big spacious building. And they had in that thing there, I would stop and look through the big doors they had, just big wire doors like, because it had to have a lot of air circling through there. They had a lot of generators in there, great big massive things. And you could hear it about a block before you got there, just a constant hum. I would look in that thing as it go by and think about all the power that was generated in there to light houses and warm them and so forth and so on. Within about a year or so, and they moved all that equipment out of there. And a group of God's people bought that place and turned it into a house of God. Oh, I thought to myself, how fitting. Oh, what symbolism. Here it is, a place that is filled with power, enough power to do whatever needs to be done in the life of every person that happens to be a part of that group a place where they can meet Christ. I have been a witness to more power released in and through the church than any other one place. That's a fact. I remember a little girl. I remember something happened to her one Sunday morning. I knew she was sick and the doctor said it was a terminal situation. She's young mother had two children. I remember the Sunday morning that she was sitting in the little church where I happened to be the preacher and she was sitting right down front and I couldn't help but see that something happened to her that morning when she walked out of the church I said Mary I said something happened to you this morning could you tell me about it she said it sure did she said preacher I'm not afraid to die it's gone I'm not afraid it happened this morning there was a power an assurance came in my life that I can't speak about it but I want you to know that I'm ready. It's okay. And she wasn't frowning when she was saying, well, a few months later she was dead. Power. Power to live with. Power. I can tell you about people that I have noticed that have laid hold of something within a worship service. I can tell you about a man that was a thief. He was sent up for stealing started coming to church because he had nowhere else to go nothing else to steal I guess he was Washington too close so he decided to come to church after a while something happened to that man he said preacher I'll never steal again it's finished it's done got something better that man started teaching Sunday school class and I guess he still is power power they went back to Jerusalem You know, that's a fantastic thing. They went back to Jerusalem and they went back because something had taken place, not in Jerusalem, but in their own heart and soul. And they had laid hold of God's promise and had made it their own. They had worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ and they knew something. And that thing that they knew had changed their life completely and totally. Completely and totally. How can I make this power mine? Let us not be so foolish as God's people have played all down through the ages. You see, the the foolish mistake that these people were making in the Old Testament as God was speaking to Isaiah was that because they could not sense anything, could not feel anything, it meant that God was oblivious to them. But God reminded them that all the power that he had could be called into play to take care of them right where they are and right where they were. And then he wasn't going to leave out anyone. He had them all numbered. When people worship the Lord Jesus Christ and come in contact with him, you see, i like to make a fine distinction. Now, every one of us believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Savior, and your soul has been saved. How many of us really truly believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of our life? Do you really believe that Jesus is Lord? What about this Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where do you get your sense of direction? Where do you look for what you're going to do the rest of the day and tomorrow? Do you look at what happened to you yesterday, the bad? Do you look at some tote sheet or something else and try to decide then what it's going to be? Or do you keep your eye and your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, we may be in the same building, the same place, the same meeting. But any man that takes or woman takes his eye off of what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling for and looked at anything else, you have drifted 10,000 miles away from what I'm talking about and you'll never know it. Oh, you may know what being saved means. But you're not going to talk about power that can be released in your life. I'll tell you that right now. It can't be done. Jesus is Lord. There's only one that I look to and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I look to anything else, anywhere, place, I have done damage to myself and I have blocked the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit releasing this tremendous power within my life. It's here doesn't make any difference where you sense it or you feel it. You're not an animal. You've got a mind to think with. Jesus has told us that I'm going to be with you where two or three are gathered together. In my sanctuary, the promise that was made to Solomon when he dedicated the temple, do you know that promise has not been withdrawn from God's people? And basically that promise that God made that when you cannot find God any other place, when you return to his altar, The place where God has promised always to meet us is in a place exactly like us, a dedicated place. He says, I'll meet you there. He's here. It doesn't make any difference whether you sense and feel it. You've got a mind to think with. You act upon it. You act upon it. You act upon what you know. Put into operation what you already know. There's that story that's told of a man that was lost at night in a deep forest. And the night was so dark it was a storm brewing and blacker than the witch's brew. And he couldn't find his way out. So the storm came. And then he discovered a great thing that when the storm began to rage and the lightning began to flash he found that he could take four or five steps within the lightning as it opened the way for him. And after he had taken those four or five steps and come another flash he would walk again until he found his way out of the woods. I don't care where you start. You know, the interesting thing is I wonder what would have happened if Moses had not turned aside to see that bush. Such an insignificant thing. You may have something within your life that seems so insignificant, but it captures your imagination and your mind. Look at it closely. And when Moses began to look at that bush and walked over towards you, you know what God said to him? Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And from there, he delivered his people. There was a man by the name of Max Cleland. I doubt whether you've ever heard tell of him. I did not hear tell of him until the other day. Max Cleland. A few years ago, when the war was raging in Vietnam, this man had both legs blown off and his right arm. What would you do? Look at the situation and let your mind dwell upon you don't have two legs, you don't have an arm and let that dictate to you what you're going to do? Or do you keep your mind on the Lord as Max discovered that he could do and he ought to do? And that's precisely what he did. You know where this man is today? He is the head man of the Veterans Administration with his office, I think it's in Washington, D.C., some 70 million people to some degree that he has some responsibility to and for. think about it power power can can i live my beloved you bet you can and you can live dynamically if you will keep your mind and your eyes fixed upon the lord jesus christ and let him speak to you and then you take action Oh, it may seem so insignificant where you start, but you start there. And I will guarantee you that you will come to the place too where you will know it as Moses knew of long ago that the burning bush is connected with God. And the scripture simply says that when the disciples worship the Lord Jesus Christ, they return to Jerusalem rejoicing. Our Father, help us then